Hi, ABC family. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you joined us. My name is Gerald. I'm the discipleship pastor here at ABC. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that our mission is to equip people to become more like Jesus. And we want to do that in a couple of ways. I'm going to highlight three of them for you today. First, I want to mention our culture conference. And what we mean when we use the word culture is the way we do things around here. So there's a culture in America, right? How do we do things in America? Or there's a culture in your family. What does it look like for your family to do things in a certain way? Where our, our culture in America, specifically the culture in California, has an awful lot to say about the topics of gender and sexuality. So we want to get together as a church and think through a way that we can live and love and respond to our culture in light of what the Bible has to say about these topics of gender and sexuality. So we're bringing in some pastoral voices. We're bringing in Sam Alberry and Drew Berryessa to help us see what the Bible has to say about these topics of gender and sexuality. So we'll be offering this conference later this month on the 27th and 28th of October, Friday night, and we will be offering childcare for those of you who are parents and and if you have kids that are birth through fifth grade, bring them along. We'll take care of those kids so that you can pay attention and learn and be built into, be equipped to think and live and love like Jesus. And we will also be offering dinner that night. So if you want to come hungry, it'll be $10 a person or $30 for the entire family. We just ask that you go on to our website, go on to abcchurch.org, scroll down halfway on our homepage, and you'll find a button there for registering for the conference. The conference is free, but we just need to know how many people are coming so that we can order enough food and get enough child care workers so that we can all be built into and further equipped in this way. Secondly, I want to let you know about our upcoming annual youth conference called Awaken. That'll be offered on the 11th and 12th of November. And that's a time where we are expecting middle schoolers and high schoolers to show up, maybe 300 of them or more. And we will build into them in a way that helps equip them to become more like Jesus as well. Now, in order to do this, we need an army of volunteers. I've been told we need 206 volunteers to help serve for this conference in November. Now, that's one volunteer per human bone in each body. Or it could be that actually the number is 210, but we've already got four people signed up. So either way, we need 206 more volunteers and no youth conference is complete until they're all hyped up on sugar. So what we need you to do most importantly is show up with a bunch of cookies. Literally, make your favorite batch of cookies. Ideally, they'll be peanut free so we can sideline that allergy and avoid that disaster. And you just bring those to the church office in the week leading up to the conference so that we can make sure that they are adequately supplied with sugar. Secondly, we need other volunteers to show up and help with it too. So would you please um, sign up either by emailing Kelsey at abcchurch.org and letting her know you're willing to serve in some way or another, or come on down to campus and stop by the Connect booth on Sunday morning. We'd love to give you more information there and, and help sign you up so that you can serve and help equip the next generation to be loved more like Jesus as well. Thirdly, I want to let you know that if you are a parent of a middle schooler or if you're a middle schooler, 
we have a new ministry for you on Sunday mornings that'll meet during the 1045 service in the student center, room two, also known as boardwalk. So parents, bring your middle schoolers and middle schoolers show up at boardwalk during 1045 service and we'll take care of you there. Help equip you guys to become more like Jesus there too. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the week. Have a great day. Love you. Bye. Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to jump right back into our series um, in the Gospel of Matthew. I hope you caught last week's service. If you weren't here with us on campus, um, the video of our services from on campus last Sunday is on the YouTube uh, channel or it's on our website. Um, we've got an interview with Abel Miller, who is a missionary in Tanzania, and Brooke Bateman, who's a missionary in Romania, um, on the video from last week's message. And it's fantastic to hear what God's doing through them in the world. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Um, so if you didn't hear that last week, go back and listen to that. Um, and then we'll catch you back up into the series through Matthew. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention as we get started this morning. Um, there's a, a really meaningful and helpful resource um, in our county uh, for the world of foster care, um, foster and adoption, um, but also some of the other opportunities to serve foster community through respite and other things. Um, if you're interested in learning more about fostering or how to serve foster families in our county and in our community, there's a conference that they're having at Grace Central Coast Church down in Slow. Um, it's happening Saturday, November 5th, and it's a Saturday, multiple sessions with multiple breakouts um, to discuss a lot of resources for the foster community. So you don't want to miss that. Um, you can sign up on their website. It's, um, it's on the screen here. So if you want to sign up, go to that website, sign up for the conference November 5th, and um, you can jump in and participate um, and see how you can serve the foster community. So uh, you don't want to miss that. Um, we're going to jump in, as I said, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 9 this morning. Um, as we jump into this passage, um, I was reflecting on my childhood at, at church growing up. And at my church, and maybe it was this way at your church too, I grew up in the 80s, uh, there was a right way to go to church at my church. And the right way was you don't wear jeans, uh, you don't wear tennis shoes, you don't wear hats, your hair was cut, if you're a boy, your hair was cut above your ears, uh, you didn't chew gum in church. If you're a girl, you wore a dress or a skirt that was below your knees, and kids were to stay quiet in church, and uh, the deacons passed the plate while they were wearing their coats, and the choir sang in robes, um, on and on and on. You can kind of picture and imagine this church it was a relatively conservative church, and the pastor's name was Gene Kern, where I grew up, and he wore a three-piece suit every Sunday, had a vest on under his coat, and he would preach every single Sunday, um, day in and day out, just continuing uh, to do the, this amazing Baptist ministry. Anyway, when I was growing up, there's this memorable moment I have as a kid sitting in the pews of that church where the pastor's son, Gene's son, who was a prodigal son, had been away for a while, walked in the middle of the service, in the middle of the sermon, walks down the center aisle with long hair and chains on his belt, wearing a leather jacket and boots, kind of trudging down the center aisle in the middle of the sermon in this conservative, hush environment, 
And I watched our pastor Gene step down off of that tall stage, stop in the middle of his sermon and meet his son in the middle of the aisle in that service that day and threw his arms around his son and held him tight in the middle of this service. And I don't remember what happened next, to be honest, because that moment was burnt in my mind. I can still hear the sound of the crinkling leather jacket as he squeezed his son in this church. And it burned in my mind this picture of the prodigal son, this picture of an imperfect person, a person with long hair and with with boots and the wrong clothes to come to church showing up because for him that day, it wasn't about perfection. It wasn't about the right way to come to church. It was about the fact that he showed up. And this morning, we're gonna look at an imperfect faith a faith that maybe didn't have all of the ducks in a row or all the things figured out or together, but a faith that was willing to show up, a faith that was willing to go to Jesus. And so look with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. And I wanna show you the story of a woman who who had a a tattered past, who was a bit of an outsider, um, kind of an outcast of society show up to see Jesus. Look at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 9. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. So there's a couple different things happening here and we're going to go back and look at this. But first I want to pay close attention and draw your attention to the first verse in this passage. In verse 18, it says, while he was saying these things to them, while Jesus was teaching them, what was he teaching? Well, if I back up and show you verse 17, this is what Jesus was talking about. We read it last week on Sunday. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. Jesus is doing a new thing. He has a new covenant, a new message. It's gonna be wrapped in new wineskins. It's thinking different, behaving different, maybe even believing different. He breaks all the rules, and this woman in this scene is no exception. Here she is, breaking rules. And yet, in the midst of that, she finds healing. New wine, new wineskins. She has an imperfect understanding in my mind, and we'll talk about that. An imperfect understanding of who Jesus is. I don't know that she fully comprehended the authority of Christ or the deity of Christ, the personhood of Jesus at that moment, but she understood that Jesus could change things. And if she could just get to Jesus, it was an imperfect faith. It wasn't completely there, not well-rounded, but she knew she could get to Jesus, things might change. She may have been wrong, but what if she was right about Jesus? This woman's faith may have even been misguided, but God can work with that. And so we see this imperfect faith bring perfect healing. Look back at verse 21. It says, For she said to herself, 
if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. I wanna show you some of the imperfections that I notice in this passage. The first one, there's this kind of superstitious faith. Now you read that, if you read 21, you might argue to me, well, look at the courageous uh, faith of this woman's boldness to be able to say, if I only get to Jesus, if I could just touch his coat, the faith of that woman to believe that all she needed to do was get close enough to rub against the fabric that surrounded him to be healed. Well, isn't that a perfect demonstration of faith? Well, it might be, but it's also possible that this is a superstitious faith because in that day and age, there was a belief that the fringes, the tassels of the cloak of the rabbi carried a special degree of holiness and in some sense, even a special power, a holy power. See, here's what the tassels or the fringes are that we're talking about on Jesus's garment. It was a, a fringe that was enjoined by a ribbon or a thread. This is according to Charles Ellicott um, with blue thread throughout that was symbolic of heaven. It was to be put into the fringe or the tassels of the outer cloak and the other threads were white and the number of threads, listen to this, were 613 as coinciding with the number of the precepts of the law as counted by the scribes. And so this is a woven tassel demonstrating the holiness and the perfection of God. And so these rabbis that wore these tassels demonstrating the law were believed to carry some special degree of holiness. And there literally was a superstition that if you could come near, if those tassels could be even touched. In fact, you see again in scripture, we're gonna go through the rest of Matthew and there will be opportunities where we see this superstitious faith kind of demonstrated where, where people were just touching the garment of Jesus and they were healed. And so they began to believe that much like the, the pool of Bethesda in John chapter five, you might remember that story where Jesus heals the man who was paralyzed and he said he had no one to put him into the water when the water was stirred because they were believing that if the water was stirred by some sort of angel from heaven, the first person in the water would be healed. It was this kind of superstitious belief like the water was magic or like the, the tassels were somehow magical that they carried special power. And so reaching out for the tassels of Jesus in this instance may have been a misplaced superstition. And yet, it, it remains true that for this woman, the step, the simple step was reaching for Jesus. Whether or not she was doing it for the wrong reason or, or maybe believed something that was untrue about Jesus or his garment or she didn't completely understand the holiness or the reverence of Jesus Christ. She reached for Jesus. It may have been a half-baked faith in her mind, but it was faith nonetheless. Then I think about the man in Mark chapter 9, and you might remember this story as well, where he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you could heal my son, and Jesus says, if, if I can heal your son, he says, all things are possible for he who believes. And this is how the man responds. This is in Mark chapter nine. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief because I'm not all there yet. Because I haven't worked this all out theologically in my mind. And there may be some things that are untrue, maybe some cultural influences about theology or, or power of God or holiness of God and and I haven't worked through all that yet. And there's some questions that I haven't answered yet, but help me because I want to believe. And that's the, the method. That's the gesture of this woman 
in this moment. Help my unbelief. And in Mark chapter 9, in that instance, Jesus heals the boy. Not because the man had perfect faith. Not because he had it all figured out. No, because he demonstrated an ounce of faith. Jesus wasn't hindered by his lack of faith. He's going to be hard on lack of faith, for sure. In fact, when we get into chapter 17, we're going to see Jesus talk about a faithless generation. And then he's going to say, if you only had faith like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. And so Jesus isn't condoning a lack of faith. That's not what we're talking about here. Nor is he condoning a superstitious faith. What he's saying is, if there's just a bit, if there's a seed... There's just an ounce of faith moving towards Jesus. If, if there's any kind of thought in your mind that Jesus might help move towards that, chase towards that, run that direction. And so we see this woman take that imperfect step with an imperfect faith that ultimately brings healing. Now go back with me to verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Again, we know what's happening here, but I want you to see how lawless this step was. That her faith step actually involved breaking the law in this moment. It was rebellious. In fact, it created a, a problem for a lot of people, what she did that day. Consider this. It says the woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Now, this isn't a nosebleed. I don't want to overstate the obvious, but, and I don't know, I need to go into detail, but you can imagine this, the situation and the circumstance um, that the Jewish law was very clear about this woman's situation. I want to take you back into that. I'll spare you some of the details, but there's a very clear description in the Old Testament law about how um, a woman in her state was to be interacted with. Here's what it says in Leviticus chapter 15. Every month, every woman has a window of about a week where she is going to be ceremonially unclean. You can read through all of chapter 15. It, it, um, it talks through very specific things related to this that I'll spare you the details of. But during that time, if that woman is touched, they would become unclean. If you touch a garment that was touched by that woman, you would be unclean. If you sat in a location where that woman had been sitting, you would become unclean. If you touch anything that touches that woman, you become unclean. Now, in order for, in order for you to be made clean in that moment, you have to go through the same ceremonial cleansing process that the women would have had to go through um, at the end of that one-week period. Imagine tiptoeing around this, this issue. Imagine dealing with kind of the shame that's associated with the stigma or the isolation that, that you might feel as an Israeli woman in that culture. There's, there's so much here socially and culturally that I just don't think we can get our minds around until you understand the gravity of, of what the law requires. And every time this happened in every, every woman's life, in, in, in every woman's season, there was a requirement to be cleansed in order to be ceremonially clean by a sin sacrifice and a burnt offering. Now, then I asked the question, well, what's the sin sacrifice and the burnt offering look like? What would it require if you touched the garment and then had to go through that same process? Well, here's what it says in Leviticus chapter 1. Um, you can read that whole process and it's 
detailed. Again, I'll summarize it for you. In order to be made ceremonially clean, you would need to obtain a pigeon or a turtle dove and you would bring it to the altar, the sacrifice. You would bring it to the priest. And the priest would lay their hand on the head of the bird and wring its head and clean its entrails, squeeze and drain the blood onto the side of the altar, tearing apart the bird by its wings and removing the stomach and then light a fire to burn the carcass. I'm not making this up. I know it's hard to talk about and even gruesome to bring up, but this is the process. This is the cleansing process, the sin offering that was to be made. And it happened regularly. But this woman, this woman in Matthew chapter 9 had been bleeding for 12 years. Now imagine the difference between a normal lifestyle as a Hebrew woman and the lifestyle of a woman who had this non-stop issue. And when she stepped towards Jesus, pushing her way through that crowd, she made every other person she touched that day unclean. But it gets worse because she touched Jesus himself, the rabbi, the teacher of the law, she touched the very tassels on his cloak that were designed to be a reminder of the law, a reminder of ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing. Well, listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, I am the Lord, your God. And so he states very clearly the reason that they were to sew these tassels together. The reason they were to wear these garments was as a demonstration to remember the commandments of the Lord and the holiness of God. And so Jesus wears these tassels demonstrating the holiness, the purity, the ceremonial cleanliness of the law. And this woman, unclean, reaches out and touches the very object that was to demonstrate cleanliness. Gosh, imagine the outrage. Who is she to do this? In fact, you can read in Mark's version of this story, she did so almost in secret. Nobody knew who touched Jesus. In fact, he didn't even know who touched him? He pauses and asks, who touched me? I just felt power leave. So she sneaks, almost to be conspicu inconspicuous, you know, just hide in the crowd and, and just reach up and graze the tassels of Jesus. This was a reckless decision. Would have been costly for anyone that was there that day to become unclean and to have to go through the process that we outlined in Leviticus chapter 1. Some may even say that her faith was reckless. She stepped out, throwing caution to the wind, believing that Jesus may just have a way around the law. Interesting. Maybe he could make her clean. 
Maybe he could break this cycle. Maybe Jesus was worth the cost. Her faith wasn't perfect. In fact, it was costly. And and it was tired. As we continue to read and, and understand the story, we see this woman coming to the end of herself. I want to go over to Mark chapter 5 where Mark tells his version of the story and just read a couple of lines that I think are helpful in understanding the context and what she was dealing with. Mark chapter 5 verse 26. says, And who had suffered, this is the woman, and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman was as good as dead. Maybe to her friends, maybe to her family, I, I don't know. She couldn't be touched. She couldn't go out in public. She probably didn't want to be seen. She couldn't be cured. She had spent everything she had. All of the resources she had at her disposal had been exhausted. And Mark, in fact, kind of alludes to the fact that she may have submitted herself to painful procedures and harmful treatments that actually made her situation worse. Instead of getting better, she got worse after spending all that she had going to every doctor or physician she could think of to try to come up with some sort of solution so that she didn't have to live the rest of her life that way. And this woman was tired. Any ounce of self-worth was shredded. Any hope of meaningful future in the community was gone. And I can't imagine that her faith was hopeless. And this was a last ditch effort. This woman had been calloused to hope. I don't know this for sure, but I, my guess is she was a bit of a cynic. And I can relate to that. That's what exhaustion does. When you When you've exhausted all of your resources and you've tried and tried and tried and you've gone to every single person or resource that you think might be able to help and have been let down again and again, that's what cynicism means. In fact, Jesus, I think, was a bit of a cynic too. I think of uh, what John says in chapter 2 of his gospel. Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Jesus knew better than to trust people that were going to let him down. He knew better than to have too much hope in man. He knew who not to trust. And the story in Matthew chapter 9 this morning gives hope to an old cynic like me. An exhausted faith like mine that has learned a lot of things not to trust in. Maybe it's been let down, but learn this this morning. Hear this when we read this passage. That when we've exhausted all our resources... That when you've tried every other option, that when you've given up on every possibility, we can turn to Jesus. And that's precisely what she does. Just maybe, maybe Jesus. I'm not saying she fully understood that. I'm not saying she understood the the ceremonial consequences of what she was doing. I'm not saying that she understood the 
the power, the authority that Jesus had over death and over the body and over the law and over the spiritual realm that we've talked about in Matthew. She didn't maybe get all of that, but she said, maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus will be the solution. If I can just move close enough to him, if I can move toward him, maybe he will be the solution. And I love how J.A. Motyer describes her faith. He says, the faith may be a last resort. Maybe it's the last ditch effort. I get that. I'm okay with that. He says, it may be a superstitious faith. It may be theologically deficient, but if it is placed in Jesus, it binds the sinner and the savior together. And that is what he came to bring about. It might be incomplete. It might not be well thought through. It might have a, a clear, it might not have a clear doctrinal statement behind it, understanding the personhood and the deity of Christ, the hypostatic union of man and God together, but it's moving toward Jesus, and that's what binds the Savior to the sinner. It's an imperfect faith that can bring perfect healing. And I love the response of Jesus to this woman, regardless of her faith, regardless of all of the implications of her decision and the uncleanliness that she brought that day. This is how he responds in verse 22. Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And I imagine Jesus looking at a woman who maybe hadn't made eye contact with anyone else in that crowd. Maybe hadn't been addressed by someone to her face for a long time hadn't really been seen by somebody, hadn't really been known by somebody for Jesus to pause and to look her in the eyes and say, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well because this is exactly what I came to do to restore brokenness, to clean what had been made unclean, to heal, to bring hope to the hopeless. And it didn't require having her act together it didn't require wearing slacks and the right kind of shoes and a three-piece suit or having the right kind of coat or taking your hat off or having your hair cut right, showing up to church. It didn't require any of that. It just required a desire to get to Jesus. And so as I saw Pastor Gene Kern step down from the stage that day and meet his son halfway down the aisle and throw his arms around his son who he hadn't seen, who he loved, I see Jesus looking this woman in the eyes and saying, take heart, daughter, you made it. Thanks for coming. You're healed. Your faith may not have been perfect, but it was a step of faith and you showed up. Man, I appreciate that. I'm so thankful he uses that word. I have a daughter. It's something special. I have sons too. I love my sons. They're, they're great. They're a ton of fun. I have a daughter and there's something special about the tenderness of my little girl. Fill in the blank here on whatever term of endearment you, you've heard for a daughter, for a little girl, sweetheart, child, daughter. Take heart. Your faith has made you well. And in that moment, the holiness of Jesus, the holiness of those tassels, they weren't stained by that woman's uncleanliness, she was made clean by him. That Jesus doesn't take on the uncleanliness, he cleanses the uncleanliness. And this woman is made well in that moment. I think it's worth pointing out, 
as you walk through this, this passage, you may have noticed there's another miracle taking place here. We didn't get through the, the healing of Jairus' daughter, but this is a, a Jewish leader, someone who had put all of his ducks in a row, theoretically. So you have Jairus showing up to Jesus saying, my, my little girl is dead. Can you please come? I need your help. And he likely had a lot more uh, standing in the community, probably had a better posture, better image in the community. And for that man to to see Jesus' mission interrupted by an unclean woman, imagine Jairus standing on while his daughter is dead, looking at this woman who was to be unclean, who, wouldn't, who wasn't supposed to be out in the courtyard with all these people and certainly wasn't supposed to be touching these people and definitely wasn't supposed to be touching Jesus and for his miracle to be interrupted. Hold on. But for him to watch him speak to this woman, daughter. And then for just a few short verses later, Jesus to heal that little girl, to raise her from the dead, You see, Jesus responds to all kinds of faith. Faith that's got its ducks in a row. Faith that, um, you know, that people people think that they've done all the right things and put their life in order. Faith that is out of order. Faith that appears to be unclean. Jesus healed the little girl and the woman in his own time. But for that man to see Jesus look at this woman and say, daughter, the very language he would use for a 12-year-old little girl in just a few short verses. And in that moment, transform that woman's identity forever. No longer was she an outcast, unclean, ostracized, hidden. She was seen because of the love of Jesus. Let me read this final verse. In verse 26, Matthew chapter 9, it says, And the report of this went through all the district. Now you read that and think, okay, yeah, the little girl was raised from the dead. Of course, the report of that's going out. I think that Matthew's referring to both healings, both miracles. A report of this woman who had stepped out into public, who had touched all these other people, and Jesus in that instant made her clean, and everyone else that had touched her in that moment, watched the miracle transform her before their eyes. And then he raised this little girl from the dead. Two profound miracles. Things that no one had ever seen before. And more than the healing, more than the physical transformation, there was a spiritual transformation that took place for both because at that moment they became and understood their identity as children of God. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Maybe you've got a lot of things in order. Maybe your faith is is relatively robust. Maybe you understand a lot about God. Maybe you understand a lot about Jesus, that you've understood who he is and the authority he has as creator, sustainer, provider, healer. That's great. You're coming to Jesus understanding what you're coming to, and I'm thankful for that. Many of us have have had a, a long history of being raised 
with faith values. Maybe you're coming with a bit longer hair, so to speak, metaphorically. Maybe you're walking into a church. Maybe you're showing up online here at ABC feeling a little less in place. Feeling like, I don't have this all figured out. I'm not sure about the whole community Christian church thing. I'm not sure about the whole faith thing, but I am curious and I'm hungry and I've exhausted a lot of other resources. I've been let down a lot before. Maybe you even have a, a, a twisted motive and, and you're thinking, I, I don't know why I'm coming to Jesus if it's for healing or if it's for, um, for some sort of faith uh, grounding or if it's just for me to understand uh, more about what my life means in light of eternity. The beautiful message of this woman's story this morning is that it doesn't matter why you came, it matters that you came. It doesn't matter how you came, it matters that you came. It doesn't matter what you brought, it matters that you came. So I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. I'm inviting you to lean in and say, Jesus, could you heal? Could you restore? Could you look to me and say, son, daughter, and give me that new identity and understand that when you come to Jesus, he changes everything. Everything changes when you come to Jesus. I wanna pray for you and if you happen to be just, just kind of listening in, maybe you're checking out churches and checking out ABC. Uh, one thing that I can be very clear about if you're interested in, in our church is that we're going to continue to preach the love of Jesus. We're going to continue to preach the truth of his word every single Sunday. And the reason is because we know his truth and his word transforms our lives and it changes the way we see things. It changes the way we see ourselves. And if you're there, if you're just checking things out, I want to invite you to lean in. I want to invite you to, to hear him speak those words of new identity over you. If, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to see the transformation that took place for this woman, and, and I want you to give grace to those that are in that same state. That we would give others a pass and realize maybe they don't have their faith figured out yet. That's okay. They're coming to Jesus. Let's be like the the centurion or the, uh, excuse me, the, um, the synagogue leader, Jairus, who's watching on, realizing this woman hasn't quite got it figured out, but she's coming to Jesus. So let's come together to Jesus this morning as I pray. Father, we thank you for the message of healing in this passage. I'm thankful to see an example that of a woman that hasn't maybe figured it all out. And in fact, maybe she was functioning out of a superstition. Maybe she was functioning out, out of legalism or, or some kind of lawlessness. Maybe she was functioning out of exhaustion or, or last-ditch efforts. But what I know is true is you don't hold any of those as prerequisites. Lord, you're not asking for us to get our stuff together before we come to you. You're just asking that we come. And so we come now, Lord, and we ask that we would hear you speak our new name, daughter, son, child, that we could be healed, restored, and made clean by your presence. We thank you and praise you for it. In your precious name I pray, amen.